Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, thanks so much for joining me again. This is, of course, Dr. Fred. You're listening to Study, Grow, Know. You know, I've written several articles on the growing lack of discernment, which creates blindness in people today. And I touched on that in my previous article that I posted yesterday. And for those interested, there is a link in the transcript where you can see some of the other articles I've written on discernment. Discernment itself continues to remain elusive for too many people. And we need to ask, what did Jesus say about it? Well, let's look at Matthew 13, 12. That's interesting, especially within the context of the other verses surrounding it. Now, here's Matthew 13, 10 through 14, and I'm going to emphasize verse 12, starting with verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And here's the emphasis, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And then verse 13 simply says, this is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. That's Matthew 13. 10 through 14. And you know what? May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, Matthew 13 begins with the parable of the sower. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Jesus highlights the fact that the seed, which is the gospel, was sown on a variety of different types of ground along a path, verse 4, on rocky places without much soil, verse 5, among thorns, verse 7, and finally the seed fell on good soil, verse 8, where it produced a great crop of newly saved souls. Now, immediately after this, we see in verse 10, the disciples asking Jesus, why speak in parables? Well, notice is Jesus' answer again. He says, because knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That's verse 11. And then Jesus then stated the religious leaders were deliberately kept blind to the truth. How so? Well, it goes back to, because Jesus cites here, he refers back to Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 without quoting it, the reference. He quotes the text, but not the reference, in which God told Isaiah that the people during his day, the prophet's day, would never be able to break through to seeing the truth. Why? Well, because they didn't want to see it. And instead, they rejected God. So these experts during Jesus's day, they were experts in the law. They refused also to consider that Jesus may actually be telling the truth about himself and be the person he claimed to be. So because of the religious leader's abject refusal toward Jesus, God gives them over to their already hard hearts. And eventually they would become so hardened in their hearts that even if they actually wanted to know the truth, they wouldn't gain it. It would become too late for them. Fulfillment of Isaiah came during Isaiah's day, but it also came during Jesus's day when God as man came physically 
to this earth. Can you imagine these religious leaders standing before the throne on their day of judgment when they are faced with the absolute truth that they can no longer deny? Uh, To me, that's just scary. Verse 12 may seem out of place, really, until we understand the context. Initially, it seems as though Jesus is saying that there's something physical that people have that's going to be taken away from them, and they're going to gain more for those who already have it and want more of it. It sounds like physical possessions, but it's clearly not because of the context, and it's really talking about spiritual discernment here in the context. Jesus is saying, Those people who truly want to know the truth, wherever that truth may lead, and it ultimately leads to the fact that Jesus is the only God and Lord over all, will gain that knowledge through spiritual discernment and insight. Now, beyond this, Jesus is also promising here that those who have a measure of spiritual discernment leading to truth will gain more of it once they accept that truth, receive that truth, and continue to grow in him. Now, if we compare this to the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, it's clear, very clear, they wanted no part of Jesus, by and large. They fully rejected him every step of the way, doing their best to make his life miserable and ultimately rejecting him to death on the cross, though he did nothing wrong. They didn't want some unknown upstart to mess things up for their little kingdom that they had. They had a good thing going. They didn't want to give it up. They refused to consider that Jesus was actually telling the truth about himself. Imagine that. They refused it. I'm sure you know people who refuse this all the time, just like I know people. It's it's mind-boggling. But you know what? We don't have the power to save anyone. We can tell them, and we're supposed to tell them, but only God can open a person's eyes to the truth or allow them to remain blind. Now, I believe the resolute blindness occurring throughout much of society and even among those who profess to be Christian is why so many are unable to see what's going on with just the CV situation as just one example. They embrace the propaganda that says, look, if we really love people, we would not only wear a mask and social distance, but we would jump in line to get any and all jabs related to the CV, regardless of how harmful that might be to a person's health. It's all about love. But see, their love is based clearly on feelings, emotions, and little else. An idea warms their hearts and makes them feel good all over, so they believe they're going in the right direction. That's what they use as the barometer. God never tells us in his word to use our feelings as a barometer in determining his will. Sudden adult death syndrome is real. And why now? Huh, I don't know. People are scratching their heads, as I mentioned yesterday. My wife just learned today of another person she knew for years, worked with her at this special day camp uh, years ago. She just passed away this week. She was fine Sunday, didn't feel well on Monday, died suddenly Tuesday. Two more world-class athletes died this week as well, both suddenly, young, tip-top shape. Now, at least four studies have been done, and I've highlighted several of them in the past, showing that masks are wholly ineffective in keeping CV from spreading. 
Yet how many times do we see solitary people walking down the street or in their cars wearing masks? If someone needs to wear a mask for a short period of time, I get it. That's one thing. Every time I go into the crawl space under my house, I wear a mask because I don't want to breathe all that dust and particulates that are in the air and just down there. However, wearing a mask all day with few to no breaks causes harm by forcing the wearer to continually rebreathe their exhaled CO2. And so they're actually rebreathing in carbon dioxide that they've exhaled. And this leads to a weakened immune system and sets up the wearer for serious health problems. Medical experts who have been sounding alarms regarding masks, social distancing, and the jab are being heavily monitored and censored. Some are now facing, get this, some are now facing recrimination from medical boards threatening to cancel their medical license. And it's all because those doctors don't agree with Dr. Anthony Fauci and the powers that be in the government. There is something seriously wrong when public debate is canceled and only one narrative is allowed. You can call it tyranny, you can call it fascism, you can call it whatever you want, but it leads to socialism, which eventually leads to communism and dictatorships. But setting CV aside, let's look at a larger picture where it appears people also lack discernment, maybe willingly. The Biden administration, since day one, has waged a war on fossil fuels. In fact, when he was running for election, he promised to eradicate fossil fuels, to just get rid of it. He canceled, as soon as he got in, he canceled the Keystone Pipeline and withdrew uh, drilling permits for Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. Yet people continue to state that these decisions have zero effect on the price of gas and the economy. And the president doesn't set oil or gas prices, but capitalism does. Well, clearly, they're either deliberately lying or simply do not understand supply, demand, and availability. Even though the Keystone Pipeline had not yet been completed when Biden was ushered into office, it was projected to pump 833,000 barrels of oil per day when completed. Okay, now that supply is gone. It's off the board and absolutely affects the cost of gas because it's not available anymore. Now, of course, if gas prices were this high under Trump, well, you can bet it would be solely his fault. And by the way, I am not totally pumping up Trump. He did some things I don't like. But the problem was, for the left, he did some really good things for this country. But anyway, further, because of the willingness of the USA to jump into supporting Ukraine and issue sanctions against Russia, Russia's oil is no longer available to the USA and much of the world as other countries joined in on the sanctions against Russia. Now, this also affects the price of gas at the pumps. And Biden's idea of providing a gas tax rebate isn't going to work. It's, it's a lot of hullabaloo over nothing. At the same time, Biden keeps digging into national oil reserves, which will eventually fully deplete them, by the way, and begging other countries to sell the USA oil. Now, it makes no sense when the USA has the capacity to pump oil. But those who lack discernment have every excuse available for why none of this is Biden's fault, even though all of it is Biden's fault. Now, discernment is gifted to those who seek, according to Jesus' own words from Matthew 13 above, to seek him, to seek truth. Those who are not interested in truth will not have or gain more discernment. 
Jesus promises that those who seek his truth, to seek him because he is truth, will be rewarded with discernment and will gain greater discernment as time goes on because of their relationship in Christ. Those who reject his truth by rejecting him will not only lose any discernment that they may have had, but will end up with no discernment, though they will continue to believe that they have it. I routinely see people on social media making severely asinine statements that are so easily disproved, and I'm sure you do too. Yet no amount of facts presented to them will change their mind. It's called cognitive dissonance. They are set in their lies and blind to truth because of it. I'm sure many on social networks are bots designed to simply prop up a specific narrative and, and have limited programmed responses. Others are dyed-in-the-wool leftists who firmly believe the lies they tell. They, these people, they, they have zero discernment because they spent all their lives embracing lies, all because those lies gel with them and they make them feel good about themselves. So this is expected from those in the world system, isn't it? I mean, I expect it from the people in the world who aren't Christians. However, when it begins to sneak into churches, folks, we have a problem. Whether it's critical race theory masquerading as racial reconciliation, women pastors, so-called white privilege, or any number of aberrant anti-biblical theologies promoted today with vigor, we are seeing an all-out attack on the Bible, on God, and on God's truth. All of the aforementioned subjects that I just said are based thoroughly on lies, but they're presented with a heavy dose of emotions, which catches most people off guard, lowers their resistance, making it easier to accept the lie they hear. For instance, Paul is clear about not allowing women to teach or have authority over men in church, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. And those two verses, by the way, are the ones you hear a lot. But proponents of women as pastors say Paul made that statement based on the culture of his day and nothing more. End of story. Yet verses 13 and 14 immediately following 11 and 12 prove this claim of theirs is erroneous as Paul states specific reasons for his decision. Let me read those two verses. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. I don't know how that could be any more clear. It has nothing to do with culture. Paul presented two reasons, and two reasons only, again, that have nothing to do with culture. Number one, Adam was formed first. And two, Eve was the one who was deceived, not Adam. Okay, was Adam formed first or not? Yes, okay, so there's one of Paul's reasons. Was Eve deceived? Yes, absolutely. So Adam sinned willfully, but he wasn't deceived. I don't know which is worse, but it doesn't really make any difference because Paul says that since Adam was formed first, there was a, there was a federal headship given to him. And Eve was the one who was deceived, not Adam. That tells us a lot about the way God made women and men. It doesn't mean that all women are susceptible to being deceived, but they do tend to go more by feelings. They do tend to go more by feelings. Feminists also use the passage from Galatians 3.28 to support women in pulpits. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. They use that 
to say that, see, see, there's no roles, there's no limitations anymore. But again, context, the entire chapter is dealing with salvation, not roles of individuals, and how everyone, regardless of status in life, has an equal chance of receiving salvation from God. Again, this has nothing to do with our roles here on earth. All are equal and have equal access to God for salvation. But this is interesting because notice another lie that can be born of this. Transgenderism is now claiming men can now get pregnant. They are referring to basically a woman-to-man transgender, uh, a woman who becomes who identifies as a man, one who retains her original female reproductive organs, but says, uh, I'm a man now. So now she to he looks like a man outwardly, but still has the reproductive organs to become pregnant, give birth, and even breastfeed. God still sees that person, though, as a female. Why? Because her original birth chromosomes have not changed. She has done things outwardly to make herself appear masculine. But inside, she remains a woman. People like that used to be put into mental hospitals. But now they're applauded and esteemed, considered brave. Now, with respect to critical race theory, which is finding its way into Christendom, unfortunately, the idea is that Christians should want to seek racial reconciliation between whites and blacks especially. But how is this done? Who measures it? Who determines when racial reconciliation is actually complete? It will never be complete enough for some people. Do we honestly believe people like the reverends, I use the term loosely, um, Jackson and Sharpton, that we they'll ever admit that we've arrived to racial equality? Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and others? Uh-uh. We are told in Scripture to forget about the past and press on to complete our high calling in Christ. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Racial reconciliation proponents want us to constantly look back and wallow in the sin of some of our forefathers, even though none of my ancestors ever owned slaves. In fact, my great parents on both sides came over from Europe to the USA and immigrated legally through Ellis Island. They had nothing to do with the slave trade in America. In fact, no one alive today ever owned a slave in the USA, and no one alive today was ever a slave in the USA. Times have changed, but too many continue to be inextricably and willfully bound to the past. They want some form of spoken regret and reparations. Now, certainly we should try to make amends where we have knowingly wronged people in our past personally, but the whole area of reconciliation racially is a massive scam targeting white people within society, and now it is getting into the church. It's abominable. Discernment is seriously lacking today, and it seems clear that as we approach the time of Jesus' return, grow, there will be a greater blindness throughout the earth. Everyone is going to chase after feelings. They're going to want to do things that activate their emotions so that they feel wonderful and good and warm and gushy. As society moves forward, what we should be doing is expecting people to be less discerning and far more feelings-oriented, which is what we're seeing today. And that's going to get worse. And ultimately, it will create an even greater blindness throughout society 
globally. Satan will use this blindness to gain the advantage over the earth and build his final global kingdom over which he will rule through his political son, Antichrist. You know, you and I know this, Satan's kingdom of lies, it's all built on lies, will be fully destroyed at the physical return of our great God and Savior, Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is truth you and I can count on. Thank you so much for joining me today. I pray that you have a great weekend. I think that might be it for this week. Uh, Maybe there'll be something more tomorrow, but if not, have a wonderful weekend. Praise the Lord, worship him with gladness. And I pray that he will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him.